Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. We have a number of people we'll be speaking with today, but first and foremost is our first guest, who is Congressman Emmanuel Cleaver II. Uh, represents the fifth uh, uh, congressional district in Missouri, which has parts of Kansas City, including the Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl Chiefs, uh, uh, football stadium in his district. But we have more important things to talk about first. And so, Congressman, I'd just like to have you share with our listeners. Uh, uh, you've been on several times. A lot of people know you, but just why don't you go ahead and just share a little bit about your background for the people that don't know that uh, you were the pastor of a very large church. You were on the city council and the mayor. So if you could take a minute or so and just share that with our listeners that, that don't know you that well. Uh, sure, sure, I will. And thank you uh, again for uh, inviting me to be on your show. I, I appreciate this opportunity to, to share. Um, I, I'm a native of Texas. I was born in, born in, in uh, Waukesha, Texas, 26 minutes from downtown Dallas, and uh, graduated from high school in Wichita Falls, Texas. I played football, so I went to Murray State one year, and I had an ACL and a separate shoulder uh, transferred to Prairie View uh, A&M, uh, HBCU, the following year, and uh, tried to play again. I, I just uh, my injuries were too severe. I had had two surgeries, and it was just too too much. So uh, I went on and, and, and uh, graduated from Prairie View. I moved to Kansas City. Uh, went uh, to the St. Paul School of Theology, received a master's degree in uh, divinity and theology, and uh, served for 37 years as pastor of St. James United Methodist Church here in Kansas City, served uh, three terms on the city council, and then uh, became mayor for eight, uh, eight terms. Uh, mayor Rice and I were mayors at the exact same identical time and became uh, pretty good friends and allies on the U.S. Council of Mayors. Uh, and then um, I had my own radio show on NPR for a short period. And then uh, 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 Congressman Mike Skelton, Nancy Pelosi, and Sandy Hoyers uh, all lied to me and told me how uh, much of a short period of time I would have to spend uh, actually in Washington if I ran for Congress. And they all mm. laugh now and admit that they lied. But uh, I was elected to Congress. Uh, in uh, 2000, actually five, so I took over 2005, and uh, I serve now uh, on the Homeland Security Security Committee, uh, which was at one time staffed in part by one Angela Rye, and then I uh, I serve on the Housing and Insurance Committee subcommittee, and I am the chair of the. House Subcommittee on um, on uh, Intelligence, uh, National uh, Intelligence, and Monetary Policy. So it's International Monetary Policy. So I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm very pleased to be here with you today and to have conversations with uh, my friend of all these years. Uh, been been a while now, uh, so I appreciate having the invitation to be with you. Yeah. Well, Congressman, first of all, you said eight terms. How many, how many years is a term for mayor in Kansas City? Is it two years or four I'm, years? I'm sorry. The, the, the length of the duration of, uh, of mayor, in, is it two years or four years? Four years. I served as mayor for, for uh, eight years. Because um, uh, you had said eight terms, so I was, I was trying to take out. I said, wait a minute. He served eight terms? But okay, now I'm <laughs> no, 
You clarified it, sir. Okay. Well, being being mayor is actually the best job in America, the best political job in America. But uh, uh, I was the first mayor uh, to serve under term limits for some unknown reason. Uh, but to be uh, candid, I was I would not have run for a third term anyway. But I mean, eight, eight years is enough for being mayor. Uh, and uh, I thought I, my political career was actually over. Uh, until I decided, after being strongly encouraged, to run for uh, for a house seat. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you also were chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, and you were the chair that appointed Angela Rye as uh, executive director and general counsel of the CPC. One of the best decisions I ever made. Uh, uh, I, I, I was elected unanimously to serve as the chair of the, of the CBC, and uh, actually... Uh, to be 100% uh, candid, I never interviewed anybody but uh, Angela. I'm not even sure, now that I think about it, whether I even inter- interviewed her. Uh, it, it was uh, almost a no-brainer because you wanted somebody who were, who was authentically uh, comfortable in their skin, meaning that they they were not apologetic about being black. And secondly, she was smart and and worked hard. Well, that's good. Well, uh, I want to have my co-host, David Evans, actually any questions about current legislation or because he all comes up with fantastic ideas for legislation, Congressman Cleaver. So I want Hayward to chime in. You know, Congressman Cleaver, I'm very interested in what's going on. I know President Trump was proposing his budget where he was slashing uh, critical health care. He's slashing housing. He's slashing the uh, uh, the environment of protection agency. And then I turn around and I see that, but we passed the American Taxpayer Relief Act. How, how do those two collide? Do they collide? And also the CARE Act. What, what's going on with those and this number 45? Well, um, we, we, we always have a difficult time uh, when the government is divided. But... Um, you know, these are some, some difficult times. We, we were able to get the CARE Act uh, approved uh, with uh, only a few defections from the Democratic side. And, uh, and of course, uh, 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 Mitch McConnell, uh, who's the, the self-described, the self-described uh, Grim Reaper, uh, had, had pledged to, to kill it. Uh, but we were successful in getting it through. And uh, and there was damage done to uh, uh, small and black businesses that we thought we could um, we, we could somehow uh, salve. Uh But we found out after we approved the money that many of the black businesses around the country uh, did uh, could not take advantage of it because they didn't have the relationships with the big banks like the big corporations. And I don't think people realize that uh, if you're a big corporation, uh, you can pick up the phone and call the president of Wells Fargo or uh, whatever, it doesn't matter, one of the big banks, and um, and say, you know, hey, we need, uh, you know, $25 million uh, tonight to close a, a deal on uh, watermelon. And uh, you're going to get it. It's not, it's, it, you know, 
there's no such thing as uh, checking your credit. But here's the amazing thing that I hope the businesses in Seattle uh, understand, uh, and, and as well as the people who are out there fighting for them. These loans, for the most part, were going to be forgiven. And uh, so the banks uh, could not even lose money. Just think about this. Banks were asked to be equitable in giving the, the loans, the PPP loans. The money went through the SBA into the banks, and then the banks uh, made the loans. Well, um, you know, somebody might say, well, the, 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 the minority businesses are risky. Well, maybe they are. Uh, but what does that have to do with the, the, the program? And the reason I'm saying that is because, as I said earlier, the loans were guaranteed and forgiven. So the, lo the, the banks couldn't lose. I mean, there's no way they could lose. That's, that's systemic racism. They, and, and, and they would uh, uh, argue with me that that, that was not racist. Um, but it, it is. In fact, it's the, it's the most lethal form of bigotry. Because uh, it, it's their unconscious, you know. They would say, "Well, we, you know, we were we were trying to make loans, and uh, you know, well, yeah, you were, and you went directly first to the people with whom you were comfortable. They had no uh, problems giving loans to the big corporations, but you came in that black, you know, you got to do the shuffle, uh, you got to show, uh, you know, you got to dance, you know, and scratch even if you don't itch, and a lot of." People didn't want to do it, and, and and they couldn't do it. You know, I guess my question is going to go back to number forty-five. How can he cut affordable the, the Affordable Care Act and housing during the pandemic? Well, I think I think the president needs answered most of those questions uh, in her book. Uh, that she, and she said very clearly un, and, and unambiguously that her uncle. Uh, has uh, no uh, innate ability uh, to empathize with anybody that his whole existence is centered exclusively on himself mm -hmm. and that uh, people who don't understand that uh, need to understand that he is the most dangerous human being on the planet. This comes from uh, his his, his uh, brother's daughter. This is not uh, something that uh, I'm making up. Uh, she talked about the family. She said her grandfather actually uh, was, is responsible for creating this dysfunctional family where money is about everything, that everything uh, is money. He, that, that he taught them that, that the world is transactional. And uh, she's going to be on Rachel Maddow tonight uh, if your listeners want to get a, a, a full glimpse of Donald Trump from somebody who has known him all of her life and had the benefit of learning more about him, uh, perhaps than anybody else, because she learned from her father, uh, when she said he simply committed suicide, and uh, he was an alcoholic, uh, and uh, that uh, the mother was dysfunctional. So he... he you know, in terms of the CARES Act, he doesn't care. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's transactional. If somebody had come in and said, Mr. President, if you are able to uh, kill the CARES Act, 
we will open up a new Trump hotel in Beijing and Shanghai. Uh, 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 you know, I think, uh, you know, he'd be ready to do it. Yeah. Uh, Congressman, uh, go ahead. Finish your thought. I have one. No, no, I was just going to say that's, that's, just, that's just who he is based on everything that I have seen in Washington and based on his own niece. Okay. And I was hoping that Congress would get a chance to view his uh, his financial records. But I also want to ask you, since it's the NFL and this is such a popular subject now, uh, we, you and I talked offline about the Kansas City Chiefs. So, uh, why don't you just share with our listeners right now where does that stand in terms of the Kansas City NFL football team? All right. Yeah, and the Chiefs is nowhere uh, as nearly as disparaging as Redskins because they might as well name, yes, name I, I mean, we wouldn't we would tolerate the Washington Sambos or anything like that. So would you explain to our listeners your perspective on that? Yeah, the, the, uh, the, 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 the Washington team, I mean, that's just an insult. It would be like, you know, the... The, the the Minneapolis Blacks, uh, you know, uh, the uh, black skin, the Minneapolis black skin. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, well, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, were uh, um, uh, initially uh, the the uh, Dallas Texans, and uh, they moved to uh, Kansas City because they they. Uh, were competing with for fans for, with the Dallas Cowboys, so I was kind of a, a, a boy at the time, a little boy in, in Texas, and they moved to Kansas City. Well, they were heavily recruited to Kansas, come to Kansas City by the mayor then, whose name was H. Rowe Barber, and H. Rowe Barber had a, been a big guy in scouting, and so he had he had uh, earned the name of Big Chief. Nickname, that's his, his nickname, Big Chief. So the general manager uh, convinced Lamar Hunt, the owner, to name the team, team after the mayor and call it the Chiefs. It, had, at the, it initially didn't have anything to do with, uh, uh, you know, Native Americans. However, over the years, uh, they ended up with the horse war paint that runs uh, up and down the sidelines after a touchdown. And uh, uh, a lot of, and then the, you know, the stadium is called Arrowhead Stadium, which is not an insult. Uh, uh, and the name Chief uh, is not like the color of my skin. And the, the natives around here um, have essentially said that the name is not insulting. Uh, the insult, they say, uh, come from the fact that the Chiefs uh, are constantly doing the tomahawk chop, uh, like the Florida Seminoles. Uh, and that's the part that, uh, that that I don't like. That's the part that the natives don't like. Uh, you know, it, the Chiefs, they, they think that's kind of a, uh, maybe even a, a, a glorious way to look at, look at, at natives, that, that, you know, the, the chief of, of the tribe, you know, somebody strong and powerful and uh, authoritative. <coughs> But now the Tomahawk Chop, there's no way to justify that. Yeah. Well, uh, Congressman Cleaver, I want to say if uh, if the, the uh, team was named after the mayor who was Big Chief, how come they have a white man running up and down the sidelines after touchdown with a suit on? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. To say they, uh, I guess they're saying now, you say you named it for a, a large white mayor of Kansas City, that he was a Big Chief, 
So if that's the case, then that big chief or a semblance of a big chief, a big white guy in a suit and a briefcase, he'd be running up and down the sidelines uh, every time somebody that they score a touchdown. I mean, that's a good point. Uh, Atro <laughs> Bar was a was a rotund guy weighing, weighing about three seventy five. Oh, he could and, run uh, two steps. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, uh, I, I I did the the the, the, the uh, wedding for um, the the uh, uh, the general manager, Carl Peterson. I did his wedding years ago, and then I got on the bus and went out and ticketed uh, with the natives at at the stadium on a Sunday. Uh, uh, and and I still feel very strongly about uh, about uh, the, the the some of the things that that uh, that they're doing. Uh, but Sharice Davis, one, the, the first uh, Native American ever elected to Congress, uh, who's across the state line, she's like a little sister to me. She is, uh, you know, I'm taking her guidance on this, and she's, uh, you know, uh, not she won't even, she's not that happy about going to the uh, the, the games. Uh, but it's not because of the name; it's because of the tomahawk chop. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think, um, you know, the people are, are so insensitive. They, they, you know, they, they say, "Well, we didn't mean any harm." Well, that's that's irrelevant. If you, what do you mean to do harm is irrelevant. It's whether or not you do harm. Right. So, right. Uh, that's you know that's that's called white privilege. You don't have to think about it. That, that's that's it. Exactly what it is. Uh, Congressman Cleaver, I'm sure we'll have, uh, I want you to just meet for a minute, uh, Reverend Dr. Kenneth J. Ransford. He just got his doctorate in divinity, I guess, uh, about a month or two ago, but he's been an activist uh, in terms of being in the city. So uh, I guess the other question I have for you, uh, on the Black Lives Matter, uh, Congressman, have you heard of any Black Lives Matter uh, uh, protests uh, or demands uh, dismantling black institutions or undermining efforts in, the, in black communities? Or is that just unique to Seattle, Washington? Well, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a supporter of Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, which is, which, which I think is, is, if you want to put any other name to it, it's just, it's a movement uh, of, of consciousness, but it's also a movement uh, to finally push this nation toward uh, achieving uh, the, uh, the the goals that were laid out in the in the Bill of Rights and the U.S. Constitution, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. They're endowed by the Creator with unalienable rights among them: life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think the movement is saying we want that to happen. We want it to happen right now. Yes, and it. and and there are as many young whites running around with black. Lives Matters T-shirts as there are African Americans. Uh, I think this is a this is a powerful uh, movement. Uh, I, I think that every uh, African American who can ought to uh, support what's what's going on out here with the with that, with that movement of young people who are trying trying to force this nation to change. Look, America has an ugly, ugly past. But thank you. Uh, you know, living in that in that ugliness. Uh, uh, is not necessary because we were not given a life sentence by, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the he who controls time. I mean, we have a chance to change. And, and this is one of those big moments. This is a transitional uh, uh, moment for the United States, uh, and it's like uh, no other moment that I've seen. 
Yes. I want to ask Eric if uh, Reverend Dr. Kenneth J. Ransford has joined the chat. Okay, why don't we put him on? Reverend Dr. Kenneth J. Ransford. Oh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay. How are, how are you doing? You're on with Reverend Congressman, Mayor, Council Member Emmanuel Cleaver II from Kansas City. So uh, oh, I was goodness. letting him know about about this uh, black I, I just want you to know that I've been a follower of yours, and we are the better for having men like you on the front line. This is such a humble honor for me to be on the line with you. Well, you're, you're very kind, but I'm mad at you. I mean, number one, I, I didn't complete my doctor's degree. I'm mad because you did. Uh, Say it again. <laughs> uh, I wasn't able to finish my, my my doctoral program. You finished yours and got your doctor, so I'm mad about that. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you, you are known as a, one of the powerful elocutionists uh, in the country. I'm mad about that. So uh, I'm still very pleased to have a chance to meet with you, even, even if it makes me feel inferior. So uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm blessed. Uh, that everybody was able to get us together. God bless you. I, I'm, I'm so glad that, that, that you're there uh, fighting the good fight. Thank you, sir. That that means so much. That means so much coming from a man of stature like you. And hopefully, if, if the Lord ever fixes it where we'll meet, I'll, I'll treat you to a rib dinner or a catfish or whatever, and then you won't be so mad at me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to hold you to it, Doc. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all, all right. that you do. Well, thank you, and it's good to be with you. I'm going to hop off and do an interview here with the local TV station. Okay. All right. Uh, well, people like, it's men like you that helped me to inspire to get my doctor. Just recently received it back in June. Congratulations. Congratulations. Okay, Congressman Cleaver, thank you so much. We appreciate you always. Appreciate what you're doing in D.C. We appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Blessing. Okay. Now, let me reintroduce Reverend Dr. Kendall J. Ransford, Sr., uh, the senior pastor at Greater Mount Baker Missionary Baptist Church in the central area of Seattle. And he uh, has been involved in many movements, a stalwart in the Martin Luther King Committee, the Commemoration Committee, and other civil rights struggles he's been involved in. And as a matter of fact, one of the largest marches up until recently was the Trayvon Martin protest rally that was organized at Greater Mount Baker we marched down to Martin Luther King Memorial Park. Uh, but at his latest task has been serving on the selection committee of the Central uh, District Community Preservation Development Authority, which will be known as the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development, named for the late uh, Reverend Dr. Samuel Barry McKinney, who was the main reason why that building was erected in the first place uh, when they were trying to make overtures to be fair with black folks. It was the Seattle Opportunities Industrialization Center and uh, known as SYC. Uh, we're going to be asking all the alumni of SYC to gather at some point as soon as we can unmask. So, Pastor Ransom, why don't you just share with our listeners a little bit about your experience and uh, with the selection committee? We'd appreciate hearing that. Well, it was a it was a it was a, a great experience to work with uh, uh, with many people, uh, several people who were who are so dedicated. And committed, and and have a deep love for the central district. Uh, Miss Connie Bowen and Camila Brown, Heather Clark, Bob, and Brother Bob Flowers. We were the two men on there, 
um, uh, it was just a pleasure uh, working uh, with them, uh, just just bright and brilliant people. And it was a tedious task because it was a lot of, uh, we had a lot of resumes we had to go through, and then we had to go through the process of, of whittling down who uh, we thought would be would would fit this bill for this inaugural board. So um, we, I, I think that we're doing something here uh, that may not be as as fine tuned uh, around the country with uh, a, a black community or historic black communities that um, that are being I call it gentrified, not gent- gentrified, but gentrified. Uh, we're being fried out of our communities, uh, where this the community preservation and development authorities uh, are organized is organized to restore, enhance the, the health, the safety, the, the economic well-being uh, of our communities that are adversely impacted by the construction or the ongoing operations and public facilities, works, capital projects, and a lot of times. Uh, in more cases than none, uh, the African American historic the historic community is left out. Uh, uh, we only get crumbs from the pie. If that, uh, same thing uh, with Sound Transit, but only just on a larger scale. So I, I, I really have a lot of faith and hope in this committee, uh, this board, and I know this board is going to do an excellent job. And if the community uh, will get get will will get behind it and surround it. And protect it, and make and, and and empower it to the best of our ability. Hey, Doctor Rashford, that's excellent. So now, the, the selection committee. Now, how many people did they select to be on the board of directors? Uh, I believe it was. Let's see. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. It was 11 and, selected uh, on the committee. And if I'm correct, that went through on June 25th. Do you have their names and who they are? Yes, I do. Yeah. Can, can you uh, share it with our listenership, please? Say it again. I can barely hear you. Right right now, right now, we don't have time. We will have to do this some other time. We have a schedule we have to maintain. And some of these people are taking off work to be on the air. So, Pastor Ransom, we can have you back real soon to, to go into okay, all the yeah, details. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. and. And thank you for the work that you continue to do, Eddie. We appreciate you. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you. Okay, we're going to take a break and come back with Gerald Bradford after this. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Live Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress.
Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Our next guest is Gerald Bradford, uh, who has been involved in the community. As a matter of fact, he even worked at SBI. Uh, he is now on the inaugural board of the Central District Community Preservation Development Authority, also known as the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development. And uh, Gerald, why don't you just take a few minutes and uh, let our listeners know a little bit about your background, and then Hayward and I will have a few questions for you, okay? Oh, yeah. Uh, and thank, thank you for you. being here. Well, it's an honor to be here. Um, yeah, like I, uh, yes, my name is Gerald Bradford. I'm from the central area. I went to Garfield High School, um, later to University of Washington. Uh, been in the community for a number of years, coaching football, and and um, wow, had, uh, when I graduated from college, had an opportunity to start working with gang-involved individuals. And from there, um, I had um, wow, I was luckily to to be able to have been um, recruited by Miss Portia Carter, who worked at SVI for a number of years and was instrumental in being able to have that program as one of the uh, leading uh, vocational um, colleges at that time um, in the country. So but through working with Portia, Portia, Portia had me go down and start um, doing um, classes down at the community jail at the jail. And at that time, um, I was just going down and just talking to him about just going to school, but what it ended up being is, for me, is just talking to life and to individuals. And um, some of those individuals, when talking with them, just needed to be reminded that they were worth their future and what they were trying to do. And what I talked to them about is just as using education as a tool. And from there, people started coming to school. Particularly, we were able to um, enroll in a large number of individuals into the PAC program which is, was our pre-apprenticeship program that led into union, um, union and non-union jobs. So right now I work at um, Renton Technical College. I'm the re-entry manager through the Department of Corrections. And, and I work with people who are in transition from the prisons and in the jails back into the community and help them um, with re-entry planning and to be able to strategize what they need to do for themselves um, as adults. You know, um, I guess uh, our, my goal is when I work with individuals to be able to empower them to be their best uh, uh, the, a version of themselves. Um, I'm also involved with a nonprofit called Fresh Start. I work with Terry Morgan, and we have a few contracts um, uh, around the city. But most recently, we were doing diversion with the, um, King County and going out and doing some groups at um, at the Green Hill School with Mr. Lewis Guyton um, for Guiding for Life. We, we were able to get in um, at Green Hill and do some work with some of those youth. 
So um, I guess in a nutshell, I'm really excited about being able to be part of uh, the board in order to be able to try to bring back economic opportunities to our community. And um, I'm just excited about that prospect. I mean, I really want to see um, economic ladders be able to be provided for our community so that we can be more self-sufficient and be able to um, generate business owners so that we can start generating a black dollar. I hope well, that, I, I, um, that's, that's answers a good your back, question. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I want to see. Uh, I wanted to have, have you be back, but I want to see if Hayward, my co-host, has these specific questions for you. You know, Gerald, first, I want to thank you. And you, you're like one of the perfect people for the board of directors, particularly in light of your experience working with the ex-offenders, understanding the seriousness of their transition back into society, back into our communities. I, I, look, at, I salute you for that. And working with young people, those are the kind of programs I think that you're going to be wanting to bring to the table something similar to that or in uh, incorporating your view as it relates to uh, youth and ex-offender into the programs? I would say this. Uh, thank you for the question, Mr. Evans. Um, hey, hey. I, had an I, I had an opportunity to work um, for the Seattle Urban League years ago at the, for the CDCC, and that was a contracted development and competitiveness center. And once that center was eliminated, um, this, the, the technical support that um, small and emerging companies, particularly construction companies that were black and brown owned, they lost that technical support. And so there's a big push right now in order to be able to get people into apprenticeship. I understand it, you know, but the challenge with apprenticeship is to be able to make sure that those apprentices are truly trained on all aspects of their craft so that they are worthy journeymen and that they're worthy of their um, hourly rate. But those journeymen need to be able to have an option in order for them to be able to become business owners. And that's where I would think that if we're able to get a, a contracting center, being able to help folks start their businesses, maybe a business, a small business incubator in order to be able to promote those businesses, that we can actually start to have more black business black and brown business in our city. As, as you both know, uh, the black contractor okay. in the city is like a, a, a unicorn. Can't find too many okay. of them. Uh, Gerald, before we go, I just want to say that uh, Business Development Center, uh, to provide technical assistance, to have agencies come in, that's on the drawing board. We don't have very much time, but we're going to come back and get you, get you get with you again so we can hear some more of your ideas. And by being on the board, we will definitely have you back on real, real soon. But we have a packed agenda today, and we have Miss uh, Sarah Sense Wilson standing by. So we will be calling on you again, and I want to be meeting with you too. Hayward uh, and I want to meet with you too Absolutely. to talk about the Business Development Center. So thanks for your time, uh, Board Member Gerald Bradford. Hayward uh, and I will be getting in touch with you to have a meeting real soon. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. You brothers stay safe. All right, now, thank you. Okay. Hayward uh, Evans and Eddie Ryder, Urban Forum Northwest. Our next guest is Sarah Sense Wilson. Uh, Sarah was on a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Sarah is uh, the founding director. Let's see. Let me make sure I get this right, Sarah. I don't want to stop here. Uh, Sarah is the co-founder and elected chair for the Urban Native Education Alliance, and uh, they've been having some issues like a lot of folks in the black community with our school superintendent and uh, 
I have you heard anything from the school board, sir? Uh, no. Uh, okay. Well, uh, there's been. I should, there's been I, I should let you talk first. Go ahead. Yeah, Lisa Rivera has reached out a few times, and um, other than that, no. Okay, and and the superintendent defunded. So let's why don't you share with our listeners right quick? And there's some other issues that you were bringing up, like misappropriation, sure. which we want to hear about as well. So why don't you just let our listeners know what she, what the superintendent did to uh, the United Native Education Alliance? Sure. So yeah, my name is Sarah Seth Wilson. I'm Ogallala, and I was born and raised right here in Seattle. Um, and UNEA is a is a dedicated uh, nonprofit organization um, to support Native student success. And um, and I, I just want to say that I'm a product of the early days of the desegregation era of Seattle Public Schools and raised a daughter successfully through the school district and a nephew as well. Um, yeah, we have a list of grievances, you know, with the school district under um, Denise Juno administration. And yes, they did terminate our um, partnership agreement and they did that back in uh, 2019, in May of 2019. Um, since then, they have not done, taken any steps. There's no measures to replace um, the programming and the services and the support and resources that we provided our Seattle Public School Native students. And so that's really unfortunate, especially since we were housed um, at the location of the Robert Eagle Staff School where Licton Springs, the native K-8 school is also located. And so we were serving kids, primarily the Licton Spring kids at that um, building. And those of you who may not know, UNEA was very instrumental in mobilizing our community to actually have that school named after Robert Eagle Staff. And that site itself, the Licton Springs has a lot of cultural significance for our community, for our, um, not just our community, but just historically it has cultural significance since time immemorial dating back to, uh, you know, our indigenous um, population of our Duwamish and our other Coast Salish tribes of this region. So that's really unfortunate. And um, that is actually another one of our issues is that the superintendent has moved they will be moving the Lickton Springs school out of relocating them out of that Robert Eagle staff and into the Webster building which is in it's nestled in the Ballard area in a residential neighborhood where there's no um, accessible public transportation and there's no plan either for, for the district that I'm aware of to provide transportation for that alternative school. Essentially, it's cutting the lifeline off of, from our community to relocate it and um, to such a remote space and place in the community. Um, the, the district has been unresponsive in terms of addressing the corrupt practices and the procedures of the Title VI Indian Education the Parent Advisory Committee. We um, we are calling for a full audit of that Title VI. We would love to see a full audit and an external audit also of Title I 
and also um, special education. Uh, they, the district has been unresponsive to our community and our parents' request for an open forum meeting um, or a retreat for building trust and establishing common ground between Seattle schools and our parents, our youth, our elders, and our community. There's been a, a huge severing of relationship with the district and with the, a large portion of our Native community. Um, the, the superintendent created this position of Native community liaison with the um, school board, uh, the school board president, without our involvement, without any community input in shaping, you know, that position. Um, we really, to this day, don't even understand what that position is, what the purpose is. Um, you know, that school board member has not reached out to our community, to my knowledge. Um, they attended one parent advisory committee that was a 50-minute session. Other than that, there's not been any, any connection or communication, line of communication with the district. They, the district has... Monumental failure in bridging Native American-based um, community-based organizations with students. Um, we don't really we don't see where they're referring Native students to the resources, to the culturally supportive resources. I continuously run into families that have no idea that we exist, that they don't know about our services. And given that we're the only organization in Seattle that provides culturally responsive support services to specifically for Native students, that to me is an indicator that there is a problem, a, a serious problem. Um, that's gatekeeping. That's a form of gatekeeping that really is harmful for our community. The district has been unresponsive to the American parents, elders, community in the call for a restoration of the Indian Heritage High School. There's been um, failure by the Seattle schools um, to actually provide a comprehensive report on Indian education. They did provide a report back in January, but it was it was bare bones. There was not a lot of information, and there was, um, I would say, more missing data than data presented. The district, under Denise Juno administration, um, has failed to engage our community in any meaningful, inclusive problem solving related to COVID-19 and the school closures. They had one um, very highly restricted 50-minute session, and that was it. And that was it. And it sounded like that session was mostly dominated by maybe two or three parents. Um, failure under Denise Juno to move the needle for American Indians, Alaska Native students, and under the dropout rate. Our um, disciplinary action data is still the highest at this point. Um, and we are concerned that the district is manipulating the data and what we're what we're seeing is what I call attrition warfare. Uh, we are seeing a mass exodus um, of Native students out of 
the schools and not and it's not necessarily tied to gentrification although that yeah that is a, a component but a lot of our families that we work with are leaving the Seattle schools because they are not getting the services they are not um, having any advocacy or any support within the schools or the school systems or the Hachusa Indian Ed well, program. Well, Sarah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to uh, have you on another time because you got a half an hour's worth of information. We're out of time today, but uh, as we go, have you had any contact with the Seattle School Board? Has any from any member of the Seattle School Board stepped up in support of natives? I know they have done very little for the black man that's been fired by Denise Widow and forced out of out of the school district. I was just curious, and maybe we can have that conversation next time. But have you heard anything from any school board member? No, uh, other than Lisa Rivera, who has asked a few questions. Okay. Okay, that's all I I want to find out. So uh, I guess the Civil Rights Coalition needs to get involved in this. So Haywood Nevers and I will get with the Civil Rights Coalition, and we'll put a little pressure on the school board. So thank you very much. We're going to take a break and come back with Jamie Elmer after this. Sir, you're always welcome to come back, okay? Oh, right on. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day. Okay, bye. Okay, you too now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Ready to shake things up? Try Alternative Talk 1150. Hey, what happens? Back at Urban Forum Northwest with our next and last guest, and that is not other than Jamie Elmore, one of our producers. And she is going to talk about the progress of Ball Life magazine, where she's the editor-in-chief. So welcome to Urban Forum Northwest once again, Jamie Elmore. And the floor is yours to tell us where, how the progress is going with the magazine. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Rye, for having me and always giving me a platform to share about my project. Um, so, yeah, this uh, Saturday we are going to be talking with um, a few of our editorial writers. 
with the Bald Life magazine. The Bald Life magazine will be released this September, September 2020, and it's the first of its kind. Um, the Bald Life magazine is a magazine that features bald men, women, and children that are bald due to alopecia, cancer, medically induced, or simply by choice. And this magazine is simply amazing. Um, we're excited about the people that will be featured from all over the world. But this Saturday, we're going to be talking to some of our experts. We have a team of nine editorial writers from around the country, actually um, from around the world, that specialize in hair loss, or they are bald themselves due to alopecia or by choice, or they have a family member that um, have hair loss. And so we were intentional in choosing and selecting these writers. So this Saturday, we'll be starting our first series with interviewing all of them. And this Saturday, we'll be interviewing um, Devin Stubblefield. He is our finance expert. We will also have Precious Rutland. She is our trichologist. And a trichologist is someone who specializes in the hair and scalp. And we also will have Dr. Tracy Schwarter. She um, is an optometrist, and she actually has a daughter who has alopecia. And so this Saturday, this will um, give us an opportunity for our le um, readers to talk with um, our, our writers and to get questions answered and for them to just give more information about their area of expertise. And if I can just kind of put a little um, context around alopecia, and I know you've had me on here before, but for your listening audience that are not um, clear on what alopecia is. Alopecia is an autoimmune disease. It's where your immune system attacks your hair follicle and causes your hair to fall out. And there's 6.8 million people in the U.S. and 147 million people worldwide. And so this magazine will be the first of its kind, and we will be able to feature all bald individuals. So I'm just so excited about what we have going on um, coming up, um, Mr. Ryan. Um, I'm just excited. So do you have anything else for me? <laughs> no, uh, why don't you share with us, this, is, this, uh, is this open to the public, like a Zoom event that's open to the public? Y yes, it is. I'm sorry. Yes, we will actually be doing an interview on Facebook, Facebook Live, on the Bald Life Magazine Facebook page. And all you have to do is just go on Facebook and type in Bald Life Magazine. You can like our page, and you will see all of our events lined up there and you just opt in and you'll get a reminder and you can just tune in to our interviews open to everyone i want to see if my co-host hayward evans has a question or comment well danny first of all for those folks who don't know you you're absolutely gorgeous and you, you do those designs those that clothing design and uh, i think frankly people should just look at your site for you as a personal advisor to them is that how am i saying that correctly jamie Yes, I am. A, uh, I'm an alopecia confidence coach. That's another business that I do on the side. Yes, sir. Okay, well, they, they really need to check it out. And I know what Eddie was talking about in terms of that red dress. But haven't you designed clothing specifically for people with alopecia? Actually, I, I, I don't design, but what I do is I teach people how to do their head wrapping and how to apply makeup. Once they lose uh, their hair, um, most people don't know um, the ins and outs about styling, but I will be going into um, clothing styling. So yes, you're you're speaking um, into my future. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Yeah, I'm still waiting for Oprah and and Ellen to put you on her program. <laughs> well, thank you so much. But you know what's so awesome about our magazine? I believe that it's the first one of its kind. And when you guys think about um, 
radio, you think about TV, you think about fashion, and you think about magazines. How many times do you pick up a magazine and see a bald person, number one, on the cover, and then number two, bald people throughout the whole magazine? That's what's going to make our magazine so powerful, and we're going to change a lot of lives because people that are bald, especially my babies, they don't realize that they're beautiful in spite of. They don't realize that um, not having hair, it does not keep them from walking in their purpose. And so this magazine is a global magazine. Um, We have a Spanish editor, so we have people from Spain, from all over the world, from Egypt, that will be in this magazine. And so I'm excited about um, pioneering a project um, the first of its kind, and so I'm I'm just elated, and I know that there are people that you guys may know that may be dealing with hair loss due to alopecia, cancer, or just medically um, medical reasons. This magazine will be for them, and I'm going to tell you guys a little secret. Our goal is to get into some hospitals and clinics. We've already got some inquiries from several um, hospitals already, so we're putting together our our package right now. So I, I see us being all over, really, in hospitals, clinics, on the shelves, everywhere they will open up a door, that's where we will be. All right, Jamie Yalmore. She's also the founder of the Alopecia Support Group, people call from around the world <laughs> with advice. So, Jamie, we're out of time today, but thank you very much for all that you're doing. And let Hayward and I know what your next project is so we can let the people in the community know what's happening, not only in the community, but around the world, because this thank is so streaming live on the internet. So thank Thank you you so much for your time. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, then, Jamie. Okay, uh, just want to say that uh, listening to uh, Sarah Sense Wilson about the the travesty of of the Indian programs and how they're being misused and abused by the current superintendent and uh, with the CL school board not saying anything is just totally unacceptable. So I think that if people can email and start calling the school board members and let them know that... uh, uh, the native people who were here before anybody else got here should not be treated that way. Uh, also, uh, she's had a mass exodus of black men too. outright discrimination against uh, African-Americans, uh, the athletic director, the, uh, acad- uh, the chief academic officer, the director of human resources, and then to let uh, 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 Ted Howard go in the middle of Garfield Centennial is <laughs> unacceptable. So anyway, before we go, Urban Forum Northwest is brought to us by Sound Transit Small Business Development Labor Compliance Office. The City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office. Concourse Concessions, SeaTac Bar Group LLC. Stephanie Ogle from SoulSys Media does our technology. And Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye will be talking with you again next Thursday, 2 o'clock. Thank you.